0: good morning. how are we today? Good day. How are we today? Good beautiful outside so nice. Well I'm going to pray as we get started and uh, we'll open up God's word. Father thanks for this morning um, we come to you um, with with much on our heart. With many people that are struggling, I think of the Olson family, we lift them up to you. Many, much of the church knows, but with their son, Lathaniel, we lift up the Olsons. And as they um, figure out what's going on, as they recover, especially for Lathaniel, we lift them up. God, I pray that you'd be near to them and that you would uh, encourage them and help them and provide for them. I'm so thankful for the Sackmans. What an incredible testimony of what you're doing right now in a place that we hardly even know much about that we don't think about. But you're so much bigger than that. And you're working and you are changing lives right now through these things that they're doing with young people and kids and churches. And we pray for the Sackmans as they head back to India in just a few more days, God, that you would rejuvenate them. God, that you would encourage them, give them strength and passion to pursue what you've put on their hearts and what you've laid in front of them. So we're thankful for their family. And we think of this drive that we're doing with Operation Christmas Child. God, what an an opportunity, what a privilege it is to, to partner and to give to these children. God, I pray for the kids that will be opening up their boxes from people from this church, from our school, from our ministries, God, that you would use our generosity um, to teach them about your generosity and your love. And so we pray that you would even now, God, work, start to work in the lives of the children and the families who will receive a box from this ministry, God, that you would do something so great, help us, Father, as we teach our families and our kids, our school and all the people that are involved in this ministry, that we would um, see outside of ourselves, that we'd be generous and that our kids would see the value of what it means to give. And God, now as we open up your word, pray that you would teach us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you, not from ourselves, not from the pastor, not from from anything else. We want to hear from you and from your word. So help us today to focus on you and your word today. It's in the name of the son we pray. Amen. Just quickly want to encourage you, like Daisy said, Operation Christmas Child is a great opportunity for us to be outside of our little bubble. What an opportunity for you parents to teach your kids, to show your kids what it means to give and to share the gospel, especially in a season that is so self-centered. And and Ashley and I have gotten to do this with our kids, where we get to take a shoebox or two and get to go to Walmart, and we get to, with our kids, pick out and be thinking about what would it be like, Truman, if you opened this, this box was for you. And, and teach them that this is for somebody else. And like Daisy said, it's not, the goal is not, let's get as many boxes as we can, as cheap as we can. Right? It's not the number of boxes. I would encourage you, like Daisy said, quality. Like if your kid was opening this box, it's not, it should be something that they would love and that we're not just trying to Boxes, but we want a kid to get this and to just be overwhelmed with excitement about this gift that they've been given. So um, be praying about that. 150 that's, that's light work. We should double that. Easy. The school is participating. Um, upwards is participating. The youth ministry, the children. Everyone's participating. I mean, we should triple that goal. Um, we won't make that official, Daisy, just so that um, grab a box. You can do the individual items. However you want to do it is fine, Uh, but she's in the lobby. Grab the the insert or a box, and we're excited to see what God's going to do. We're in Ephesians 3 this morning, working our way through Ephesians. I want to quickly go through a review because I think, and I don't want to um, overdo this or overstate it every week, but it's really important when you're studying Paul's letters to understand the background and to understand where he's come from. And so briefly, we'll talk just about this this thing that we've made up here. Um, We started in chapter 1. Paul is writing a letter to this church, and he's saying, God has blessed you. He has changed your life. And he starts out by worshiping the God who changed their lives. And remember, we talked about how there were magicians. Like magic is a part of this community in Ephesus. And Artemis, the God that they worshiped, was this magical God that they looked to. And so he thanks God for redeeming and saving the, their lives. He's thankful for what he's done in Jews and Gentiles, that in Christ we have been given a new identity. And in chapter one, we talked about the new identity that we have in Christ, that you have been chosen adopted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, inherited, and sealed. And you can't overstate this. Maybe you're tired of hearing it. I think it is so important to remember that God came to get us and he gave us a new identity in his son. And we talked about how Christ is our advocate he stands in front of us in Christ before the Father and makes his case for us to the Father. And Paul is thankful, not to the people, but for the God who did it. And then he prays for them, in the second half of chapter one. He's just basically saying, God, help them to understand who they are in Christ. The hope that they have in Christ, their value. Remember this the value that the, the people are the inheritance, that he can't wait to have them in heaven, and the power that they have in Christ. And then in chapter 2, we talk, Paul, Paul realized that if, if they're going to value who they are in Christ, they've got to know who they were apart from Christ. Like he knows that this isn't just where you start. And if you're really gonna cherish this and know this and live in this, you have to understand who you were apart from him. And so he does, and it's kind of depressing. It's kind of strong language that we we were dead, spiritually dead. In other words, that the purpose that God had laid out for us, that we missed it, that we were created to live with him and to have a relationship with him and know him, But because of our choices, that we were dead spiritually, that we were deceived, that we have bought into, believed, followed lies about our life, about our world, about what you were made for, and that we have followed these lies. And what happens in the the deception that we experience is that we follow these lies and we get to a point where it leaves us broken, Not only were we deceived, but we were doomed, that that, that we have no hope, that because of our sin and because of who God is, that we were on a pathway of judgment. But that's not how Ephesians 2 ends, but God, words that changed the course of history. God made a move towards us. We were helpless, we weren't hopeless. Like our hope was that God did something about our situation and and he did everything. That's what grace is. He did everything because we were dead. Dead people don't move. Dead people don't contribute. Dead people don't help. He did everything in his grace through his son that if we in our faith take hold of and trust what Christ has done, that we step into this box. That's when we become in this box, in Christ, through our faith. And this really is just the gospel message. And you think people understand the gospel message. People don't know the gospel message. It's so healthy for us to be reminded of the gospel. And then Jonathan last week talked about the implications of what it means to be in this box. It's just not that we get to sit in the box and that life is all good, but that when When we are in this box, in Christ, it has implications on how we live and how we relate to one another. And really, chapters 4 through 6 are all about the implications of this. Like, that's great, but what happens next? And Jonathan gave us a sneak peek or a preview into chapters 4 through 6 by saying it changes how we relate to one another. That now we are one, we are together, Jew and Gentile that we have been made one, and that's what we call the church. And in the, within the church, no matter where you come from, what your background is, that we have peace with one another. And we are one big, happy family. And so then we get to chapter three. Okay, chapter three is a challenging chapter. It's one that you're reading and you're like, how does this fit with what we just talked about? Okay, chapter three is transitional. He's gonna start by kind of giving an update for where he is and what he's doing, and he wants to encourage the church. He's gonna close chapter three with a prayer that's very similar to the prayer that we've already talked about, and we'll talk about that prayer next week. Um, Let's go ahead and read the first 13 verses. Hold on, it's a little confusing, but we'll work through it slowly. For this reason, I, Paul, A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which is not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been relieved to the holy apostles, revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel. Okay. This is convoluted. It's a bunch of thoughts kind of put together. And as I started thinking about this passage, I'm thinking, what is the point of what Paul is sharing? And so what you see here is Paul going off on a rabbit trail completely. He starts these first couple of words. And then in the ESV, you see a dash. Okay. That dash is basically saying, hold on Paul's about to go off, like he's about to explain some things, um, and so I think what I th- I think it is helpful for us as we start to kind of try to get the big picture before we get to the rabbit trail. So Paul starts to make his point. Let's put it up on the screen. He starts to make his point. He's saying, "I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you." He's saying, "I'm in prison for you." But it's like he starts talking about the Gentiles, and he gets really excited. Okay, but I think it's good to go to the very end and say, what was the point that he was making before the dash? So let's go to verse 13. It says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's his point. He's saying, I am a prisoner for you. I am suffering for the Gentiles. Don't be discouraged. This is his big idea of these 13 verses. I am suffering for you, don't be discouraged I'm in prison a six by six prison for you and the and the the church was upset. they were discouraged and so the rabbit tra- what the rabbit trail is is him explaining kind of a backdrop to his suffering he's going to say, let me give you a framework to understand. Why I'm suffering. Let me explain to you kind of how this happened, why God is doing it. He's in essence, he's trying to encourage them in their suffering, to give them some explanation. But our kind of our main thought this morning is this that in Christ you will suffer. We will suffer. Paul was suffering. And that just because you're sitting in this nice little box doesn't mean that we are um, free from suffering. I was starting to think through the sermon, this main point on Monday morning, and, and I, was, I typed up this slide, and I thought, huh, does it need a comma, or does it not need a comma? So I put up both. I sent a, t- a, p- a text to my wife, to my, my grammar. She's really good at grammar, and it, nothing derails a sermon like some misplaced grammar, and so she's good at it. I texted her. I said, "Hun." Do I need the comma or do I not need the comma? She said, leave the comma. And then she said, "Then she said these sermons make me nervous. Because when you start talking about some of these things and thinking about some of these things, typically you walk into some of these things. That was Monday morning. Got home Monday night and we got a phone call from a neighbor, an old neighbor in Virginia. And... Just devastating news, we were really close knit in a close knit neighborhood townhouses in Virginia, and we loved our neighborhood. We loved the people that were around us um, and We got the news on Monday night that one of the one of our neighborhood friends, a father and his fifth grade boy, and his wife were in Virginia Beach that Sunday, so the day before, and they were swimming, and, and the father got caught in a riptide and he passed away that afternoon on the beach, and the family was there. And this little neighborhood, our little community, was devastated. I mean, we, we had text messages coming in, we're talking to different people, and, and it was, it still is devastating. One of our neighbors put on Facebook, he said, This is so much more than painful. This is excruciating. Um, and it's like, this is the reality. This is the reality. We will suffer. This life is hard. We will walk through things that make no sense. And Paul here in Ephesians 3 is saying, I'm suffering for you. Let me explain it to you. And I think it's helpful for us to see this explanation. Okay, three questions I want to look at that I think Paul's answering in this little rabbit trail. Okay, first question. Why shouldn't they? The church. Why is he saying to the church, you should not be discouraged in light of my suffering? Why shouldn't they be discouraged? He's suffering. He's in prison. And Paul tells them in verses 2 and 3 and 7 and 8, Okay, and I want. You to, so here's what he's saying. He says, "I'll read these two verses. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly." Here's what Paul is saying. Why shouldn't you be discouraged, little church? Because God did this to me. That this is God's plan. For my life, that this wasn't something that I crafted up on my own, but that God clearly came to me and said, This is your purpose. Look at verses 7 and 8 of the gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ God did this to Paul. Paul did not just create this himself. So why shouldn't they be discouraged? Well, because they should realize that God is clearly behind this entire situation. I don't know that if there's a story in the, in the New Testament that it illustrates this point any better than this. Paul was not behind this big plan. Like when Paul was converted... Okay, Saul was not like interested in things of the gospel. Like Saul wasn't like seeking out answers to his deep questions. I was reading about his conversion, Acts 9. It says, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Like that's where Saul was. He's like killing disciples was as easy to Saul as breathing. Like that's a pretty rough spot. That when he goes to Damascus, he's not going to to seek out his spiritual questions and answers. He's going to kill disciples. That's the mission that he's on and God has to blind him. What does this communicate to us? That God was behind everything that was happening to Paul. That God found him. That God told Paul, verbally told Paul, This is what you were created to do. Galatians tells us that this God had determined before eternity passed that this was what Paul was going to do. He was preaching a message about the Jews and the Gentiles, he was preaching specifically to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God revealed himself in his grace and gave him this mission. You will share the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. Like, you can't Google it. Like, you can't understand the depth of the riches. And what are the riches of Christ? It's this right here. Like, you can't comprehend it. Untappable. Unfathomable. You can't get the depths of what Christ can do for you. And Paul Was called, revealed by God to share this message to the Gentiles. So they shouldn't be discouraged because Paul's not just doing this on his own, that God has a huge plan that he's working out. And and God's plan for Paul to take this to the Gentiles, okay, was never like God never told Paul how it would work out. Like it would be discouraging if God said to Paul, You're going to go preach this message to the Gentiles, it's going to go really well. They're going to love it. Churches are going to start, meta churches. People are going to receive you. It's going to be like, if that was his message, that little church should be discouraged. But God didn't tell Paul about how it would be received. And it didn't take, um, you don't have to think much about how it would be received, how Paul would have imagined it being received. Okay, He knew that this message would not be received well. So the suffering makes sense. You're going to the Gentiles and you're going to tell them that they're one with the Jews in Christ. Okay, That is a problematic message. Jews and Gentiles did not hang out. Generations and generations and generations of separation and division. Jews were taught to not mingle with or to be with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles hated the Jews. We've got... Blood being spilled we 've got anger in, in this this huge division between the Jews and the gentiles, and Paul is told to go and share the message that we in Christ are one big, happy family. Tear down the walls, tear down the veil, everyone together, let go of your cultural what you've done culturally your entire life and we are sitting next to each other we're sharing meals with one another that anyone can come to christ and we're together and listen paul must have known that this message would lead to suffering and that's what he's saying he's saying don't be discouraged god is doing something okay so that's the first question Why shouldn't we be discouraged, Paul? You're in prison. The second question that you just can imagine this little church asking, what's the purpose of all of this? Like, why, God? What what are you doing here? How is it helpful that Paul's in prison? Here's what his answer, and we'll look at verses four through six and nine through 10. Here's what he's saying. Don't be discouraged, church. You're looking at one little situation. I'm in prison. Okay, He's saying, God is doing something bigger. Yeah, you're discouraged. He can't come and he can't preach to you. And Paul's in prison. That's not good. But he's saying, God is doing something bigger. You don't understand the bigness of God's plan of what he's doing right now. My dog, Buster, I, talk, I guess I talk a lot about Buster. He was chewing, he was messing with his paw a couple weeks ago, just messing with him. I'm like, what's wrong, Buster? And I looked at his paw and it was very, very red. Okay, he must've been, I don't know, biting it, chewing, not chewing, whatever he was doing. I took him to the vet. The vet took a look at it and said, you know what, your dog is not, that's not good. And he said, if you don't do something about this right now, your dog is going to, he's going to really hurt himself because he will keep messing with his paw. And then she brought out the cone, (laughs) the cone. She said, you need to put the cone on your dog. I'm like, when? Like she said, all the time. He lives in the cone. I'm like, that's shameful for him. Like that's embarrassing. And I introduced Buster to the cone. I took him outside and he's looking at me like, what are you doing to me? There are dogs around right now. Like, why would you do this to me? He sleeps. It's he hard to sleep in a cone. He doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't get it. He's just. He's just embarrassed. He's being shamed in our community of dogs because he's got this weird cone on his head. And he's had to wear this cone for... It's been a long time now. Okay, He doesn't get the big picture. He's a dog. Yeah, that's a good point. We sometimes get so focused in the here and the now that we forget that there's a reason behind some things. There's a reason behind it. Now, you may not get it here or now, but Paul is saying there's something bigger happening here. And he hits this point so hard. Look at verse 4. When you read this, You can perceive my insight to the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Here's what he's saying. God's doing something new. And what I am doing is so much bigger than me being in prison. God's not after one tribe and one tongue and one nation. He's after all the tribes and all the nations, Gentiles, outsiders, no longer. You're now part of the family. And he's saying, this is big. This is a mystery. What that means is that the generations before haven't understood it. Like In God's perfect timing, he hasn't started this this outworking. And now Paul is saying, I'm a part of this mystery that's now been revealed. Something new is happening. He's saying this is worth suffering for. This is worth suffering. What's the purpose? Well, it's so much bigger than me being in prison. God is doing something great. Not only is he saying that God has this new big plan, he says... God has a big plan for the church, not the Jewish church, the Jewish Gentile church. Look at verse um, verse 9 and just listen to to the calling for the new church. It says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about this. Like he's saying, it's bigger. It's bigger than me being in prison. God has something huge for the church. And just think about what, what was, he was talking about with the angels. Okay, he said... That the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the spiritual realm. Okay, just let that just sink in for a moment. The angels are watching the church to see what's about to happen. Okay, we know a lot about angels. Okay, we know they're they're messengers. We know they, they watch over God's children. We know that... They love beholding the face of our Father. We know they were with God when he created the world. So they understand the vastness of creation. They've seen his wisdom in creation, but now they sit. And the picture here is that they don't know what's happening. And they are watching the church to see how God finishes his plan how God is going to reconcile the world to himself. Like, what is his plan? And so they're sitting on the edge of their seats watching this room, the church, saying, what's happening? Like, how is God doing this? What is he doing? The manifold wisdom of God. They're waiting to understand God's wisdom in the church, the Jewish and Gentile church. And it is up to us to magnify, to preach to, to showcase to the angels of what it means to be Jewish and Gentile, everybody together. For us, it doesn't matter your race or your background or your, like, where, where you come from, that in Christ we are one together. And we are presenting that to the angelic realm. And he's basically saying, me being in prison, okay, it's a little part of this big plan, it's worth it. And then he closes in verses 12 and 13. And so he says, okay, what do we do? You're you're discouraged because I'm suffering. I'm suffering. How do we handle this now? And I want to go on my own little rabbit trail. Okay. Because as we talk about suffering, our suffering doesn't always, well, doesn't look like Paul's suffering. So he's helping them to understand kind of the plan and the backdrop um, for what's happening. Okay, but here's the challenge. Our suffering, when we suffer, we don't always have that backdrop. So just a couple of things as, I, as we wrap up and talk a little bit more about our suffering. Okay, a couple of things. Um, we love the why question. We, lo- we want to know why things happen to us. And Paul gives them the answer to that question, right? He says, let me tell you why I'm suffering, because God's doing something big, and he called me from before I was born, and and the, the Jews and the Gentiles were one church, and the angels are, like, he explains them, this is why I'm suffering. Here's the thing, though. We don't always know why we suffer. So I have written here, I don't think it's on the screen, stop fixating on the why question. In suffering, stop focusing on the why question. Does scripture give us a picture for why we suffer? Yes. There's lots of reasons. I have a bunch written here. Um, Reliance is one of those. Sometimes we suffer because it's a call for us to trust in God. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Sometimes we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes if we're like, why is this happening? And then all of a sudden we realize we've been doing something against God. We've been living in the deception. And, we're, and, and part of what we're experiencing is just natural um, consequences to our own decisions. So that's why we suffer. And God's word talks about that as discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. Sometimes we suffer because he wants to reveal to the world what Christ suffered, how Christ suffered. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 4 that talks about how in our own afflictions, we are testifying to Jesus who was afflicted. Okay? There are so many reasons for why we suffer, purposes behind why we suffer. But listen, you will not hardly ever Really understand why you suffer. A story, or a true story that I share about this is with my wife and I. um, Several years ago, Uh, yeah, many July of 2014, Ashley and I lost our son. His name is was Graham. He was eighteen. We were eighteen weeks pregnant. Some complications, and and you know we were obviously so excited, and we go into the hospital because of these complications, and. The doctor tells us that your baby's not alive, that your baby has no heartbeat. And we were just broken. I mean, 18 weeks is far, I mean, it's far along, and and we were just devastated. And the doctor told us that you have to go to the hospital and you have to deliver this baby. So we went to the hospital, um, the same hospital that we would have delivered him a few months later so here we are on a, on a floor where babies are being delivered, and we know that we have to deliver our son, who's not alive. Um, and we were there for three days. I can't even tell you. I mean, it just was not what we were thinking. I mean, we thought, quick, like, you go in, you face this, you do this, and but things weren't working correctly, and I don't even remember what happened, but we were there for three days. Waiting to deliver our son, um, and it was excruciating. I mean, it was so painful to hear the babies and to have to explain this to people and to. Um, and I just remember thinking, "Why, God? Why are you doing this?" And I remember I was writing a note to our church to just explain, like, "Here's where we've been. Here's some changes." And I opened up my Bible app, and the verse for the day. Um, when I was writing this note to our church, <clears throat> Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. God's manifold wisdom. We, couldn't, we, can't, we still don't understand it. We will never understand it. We will choose to trust the God who's behind everything. We will choose to say, we worship you even though we don't get it. We don't understand why you were with us. You encouraged us. You've helped us. You've provided for us. But we don't have an answer to the why question. And that's okay. That's okay. We will worship you even in our question. Even in not having the answer. How else do we handle our suffering? And I close with these two points. We have access to boldly go to him. Verse 12 and 13 in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Just think about that. We have access in our suffering to go to God. No limits. You have no limits on going to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need me. I should still have a job, but you don't need me. You don't need me to go to God. You have access, unlimited access, to go to God in your suffering, to be bold with your access to Him. When I was thinking about being bold and just going to God, you're thinking of prayer. You think of the lament psalms that we talked about this summer, that we can be honest with God. We can talk to God. And God is there. Just like when your kids come to you, you're always there for your kids, right? Always. It's a big game. You're there for your kids. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're doing something on the you're there for your kids. Sure you are. When they are hurting, when they're suffering, you're really there for your kids. Right? You're really like there something's not right. It there, no game matters. That TV is off, and you are focused on your kids. That's what God's saying, He's saying, you have access to me. Come boldly, come honestly. Come to me in prayer. I am there. And then lastly, when it comes to suffering, we don't suffer alone. This is the mystery. This is what he's talking about. We don't suffer alone as Jews or Gentiles, that we have the church. And that as the church, we can suffer together. And I think back of our situation with our son. I mean, we were crushed. The church helped us through it. That's an understatement. The church walked us through it. The church picked us up and helped us get through it because we had nothing and people were there. And it's the church that is there to help us handle suffering. And so I want to encourage you as we close. As we suffer and as we have questions about our suffering, I want to encourage you. Sometimes we have a picture into it. Sometimes we have some answers why it's happening or what's the purpose for it. Sometimes we learn the purpose behind some of our suffering decades down the road. Like you look back and you're like, oh, okay, God was doing this. He was drawing me to himself and I met this. Like you can see, like after the fact, sometimes we have no idea and you'll never have an idea. It does not change. God's desire for us to go to him in boldness in Christ to lay it out before him. We're going to sing a song as we we close, In Christ Alone. A beautiful song. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have not left us to suffer alone. That we have each other. We have this church church that can walk us through every step of the way. And we're thankful for the story for Paul. God, that it's clear that you are doing something incredible through Paul with the church. And we're thankful for that, that we can know and believe and trust that you are doing something great, even today. God, I pray for the person in here who in this moment is suffering, who is completely overwhelmed with their situation. God, I pray that you would meet them in their suffering. I pray that this church would meet them in their suffering. And like your son has done for us, that we would help carry the burden. God, we love you. We thank you that in Christ we suffer, but that you meet us there and you don't leave us alone to handle it. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen.